0: Good to see you this morning. Good to hear you this morning. I want to uh, add one announcement. Um, Steve and Carol Ramonde have a table set up between services here to share some information and some opportunities about um, a ministry that uh, Bay Area is launching into uh, feeding some people that they could use some food once a week or so. Uh, If you'd like some information about that, stop by the table in the lobby. Uh, here between services and, and talk to one of them. I don't know how many of you have a uh, smartphone. I suspect that many, probably most of you have a smartphone. I saw some research this past week that claimed people that are 65 and older, only 26% of that demographic own and use a smartphone. Those who are 18 to 30, of that age group owns and uses a smartphone. So those of us who are older want to thank all of you who are younger to teaching us how to use our smartphones. Same statistics claim that the younger group, 18 to 30, sends and receives on average 100 texts a day. I talked to some people and said that seems mighty low to me. Those on the upper end of the age scale, 65 and older, send and receive, on average, four texts a day. I talked to some older people, they said that seems kinda high to me. But you know, texting is the way we communicate now. More people use their phones as a means to text than a means to call someone. And it can be a little bit frustrating. They're called smartphones, but I don't think they're making us any smarter. Because when you get down to texting, it seems like, All the rules of grammar seem to be suspended. Notice that? I will text my children. My two boys, when I ask them a question, I get one of two responses from them. Either the letter K or a thumbs up or thumbs down emoji. That's it. That's all I get. And it's frustrating. But I know I'm not the only one who's frustrated by that. I came across this. Um, I didn't send this. I I didn't... Text it, but whoever did is older than 50 because he's capitalized his proper nouns, but someone told him K Here was his response K K what the letter before L the letter after J Did you know that in JK K stands for kidding so your reply is kidding or K is in potassium? might not realize that uh, you need some special K in breakfast K is in, I can KO you. Can I knock you out and feed you to hungry sharks? Sharks has a K in it. <laughs> no, texting has become its own language. LOL, laugh out loud. BTW, by the way. IMO, in my opinion. IMHO, in my humble opinion. P-E-B-K-A-C. Problem exists between keyboard and chair. SCR. Sorry, couldn't resist. The way we communicate is changing, but I want to get get us back on track a little bit and share one more uh, texting uh, communication that we all understand. BFF. Right? We all know what that means. We all we all know BFF. That's my BFF. My, my best friend forever. Question. Who exactly is your best friend forever? Now, we've spent this year talking about Jesus. Several weeks ago, we spent a little bit of time in the book of Philippians where the Apostle Paul says, I want to know Christ. We want to know Christ. So we've been talking about Jesus, trying to get to know him better. And we're trying to do that by staying right in Scripture. Because most people have kind of an idea of who Jesus is. But most people's idea of who Jesus is isn't based on Scripture. For most people, their concept of Jesus is based on hearsay or some stories, music, paintings. Not too many people's perception of Jesus is actually grounded and rooted in Scripture. And we need to do something about that. We've looked at Jesus as a healer, as a rescuer, a teacher. Last week we talked about Jesus as a miracle worker. This morning, as you guessed, we're going to talk about Jesus as a friend, as a BFF, as a best friend forever. And I know some people almost cringe when I say that, because for some reason we're a little bit uncomfortable with that. We're a little bit uncomfortable with talking about Jesus as, as our best friend because somehow that almost seems disrespectful, and it almost seems like we're, you know, we're bringing Jesus down to our level when we talk about a friendship kind of relationship. But I want to stay in Scripture this morning, and, and I want to I want to look at what Scripture has to say about Jesus in the context of being a friend. But before I get there, let me ask you a question how many of you when you were growing up had a nickname you have a nickname growing up yeah, back in the day it seemed like everybody had nicknames not so much anymore I don't know I had a nickname growing up I'm not going to tell you what it was there are some people here who can tell you what it was but I'm not going to do it um, I will say this you had to know me pretty well to use my nickname only certain people used my nickname, and really only certain people that I'd respond to when they used my nickname. Did you know that Jesus had a nickname? He did. He had a given name. In Matthew chapter 1, an angel appears to Joseph and says, this woman that you are engaged to is going to have a child. It's going to be a very special child at that. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. She'll give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. Jesus. Because he'll save his people from their sins. The angel tells Joseph, this child's name is going to be Jesus. He's going to save his people from their sins. That's going to be his given name. Jesus was actually a fairly common name in first century Palestine. Parts of the world where it's still a fairly common name. Name him Jesus. And then two verses later, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. They're going to name him Jesus because he's going to save the people from their sins. But they're going to call him something else. They're going to call him Emmanuel, which means something else. Means God with us. So really, from the very beginning, before Jesus is ever even born in a manger in Bethlehem, we get a glimpse we get a hint of the kind of relationship that he's going to have with man. The, the Savior, this God, is going to be with us. Now, this angel isn't just announcing the coming of a Savior. He's doing something much more um, interesting, much more real. It's announcing something that really no one would have imagined. No longer is God going to be someplace far, far away. No longer is God going to be someone that we worship behind a curtain. No longer is God going to be someone that we worship in a box. no longer going to be some faceless entity in heaven somewhere, wherever that might be. The angel says, Jesus is going to be with us. We're going to call him Emmanuel. A lot of people call him by his given name, and that's great. That's wonderful. Got to know the one who saves you from your sins. But so many people, and I think maybe too many Christians, have failed to appreciate him as Emmanuel, God with us. Never experienced the presence and the realness of a Messiah who's not just there for us, but really is here with us. Gospel writer John introduces Jesus this way in his uh, gospel. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. John says that Jesus is eternal. Jesus has always been. He's been in, in heaven with the Father. In fact, He's one with the Father. And then if you skip down to verse 14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Let me tell you why this matters. Let me tell you why this is so important. Jesus didn't just come down so he could sit on a hillside and and preach. He didn't just come to earth so he could go to the synagogues and teach. He didn't come here so he could show up and tell us how to live our lives and then go back to heaven. He came to do so much more than that. In fact, we don't think about it very often, but Jesus actually spent... A lot more time doing something else than he did preaching and teaching. Much more of his life was spent doing something else other than preaching and teaching. Jesus didn't begin his ministry, his public ministry, until he was 30 years old. For 30 years, Jesus was something other than the Savior of the world. For 30 years, Jesus was Emmanuel. God with us. What did Jesus do for those 30 years? Now, we don't have a whole lot of details in scriptures but we do know this for 30 years Jesus did what we do. He lived his life. He, he did the things that a human being has to do. You know, he, he lived days that became weeks and weeks that became months and months that stretched into years. Some might have been exciting. Some might have been monotonous. Most probably somewhere in between. For 30 years, Jesus just lived his life. As far as we know, he didn't perform any miracles in those first 30 years. Last week, we took a look at John's account of Jesus turning water to wine at the uh, wedding feast of Canaan. John said it was the first miracle that Jesus performed. So it appears... That for 30 years Jesus never never used the power that was available to him why is this so significant why does it matter that for so much of his life Jesus this extraordinary Son of God lived what would appear to be a pretty ordinary life why is it so significant well the writer of Hebrews tells us why it's significant Therefore, it was necessary for Jesus to be in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. He then could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and temptation, he's able to help us when we are being tempted. The Hebrew writer said it was necessary for Jesus to be in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters why so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest to share in our sufferings and our temptations and because of that he he was in every respect like us able to intercede for us able to help us you know we we just naturally connect with people that we have shared uh, life experiences with right just the way we're wired we share a life experience with someone we just we we connect in that way a lot of times I will sit down and I will talk to people who are going through some very difficult times in their lives and one thing I never tell them one thing I never say is I know just how you feel I never say that I never tell them I know what you're going through because I don't I can't relate on those kinds of levels I've never lost a spouse I've never undergone chemotherapy I've never been unemployed for long periods of times I can't provide that level of sympathy and that level of understanding but what Hebrews is telling us is that there's absolutely nothing in life nothing that you will have experienced nothing that you might experience in the future that Jesus can't relate to and that Jesus can't understand that's what he was doing for 30 years before he taught before he preached before he healed before he performed miracles before he died before he was raised back to life he was living life And he understands the life that you're living. So this morning, I want to share with you three things that Jesus understands. And I'm going to tell you right up front, these points are not deep. (laughs) They are not insightful in any way. But I think we get so used to thinking of Jesus as being seated at the right hand of God and, and our Lord and Savior, which is exactly right and exactly accurate. But sometimes we forget Emmanuel. God with us so a couple things that that Jesus understands first is this Jesus understands relationships Jesus understands family why how because he had a family he lived in a family Mark chapter 6 tells us this Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. Jesus here goes back to his hometown, back to Nazareth, back to the old synagogue. He begins teaching. And people are amazed at his teaching. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him, that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph? Judas and Simon aren't his sisters here with us and they took offense at him this is the only place in scripture where Jesus's brothers are named should say his half brothers really it's more accurate Um, but Jesus had four brothers four younger brothers he also had at least two sisters The sisters' names aren't given, but there's a plurality of sisters, so there had to be at least two. Did you ever think about that? Jesus grew up in a home with seven siblings, at least, maybe more. Jesus was the oldest child of seven children, at least. We don't think about that very often, do we? You you think about people who grow up in big families. You think about the Moors. You think about the Lazarinos. Oh, that was just such a such a calm house. (laughs) Has to be so, you know, easy and simple having that many children. No. Uh, I'm sure it had to be chaotic at times. A lot of love, yes, but a lot of chaos too. Martha and I only raised three kids and we went over our heads most of the time. You know, we felt overwhelmed. He's looking at me, I am not. She took it from me, I did not. Don't make me stop this car, because I will stop this car. I just wish Jesus understood, you know, family life. I just wish he understood that. He does understand that. He understands family because he had a family. But some of you are thinking right now, well, he might understand family, but he doesn't understand marriage. I don't have problems with my brothers and sisters. No, it's my spouse. That's where I need help. Jesus doesn't understand marriage. Not so fast. Don't the books of Ephesians and Revelation talk about Jesus as a groom and the church as the bride of Christ? I would go so far as to suggest not only does Jesus know about marriage, He knows what it means to have a bride who's unfaithful. He knows what it means to have a bride that will break His heart. He does. He understands. He knows what it's like to have friends who betray Him. Best friends who turn their back on Him. Abandoned them when he needed them the most. Simply put, there are no details of any relationship that Jesus doesn't understand. He understands relationships. He understands what we're going through. Second thing that Jesus understands. He understands everyday life. He understands what you go through on you know every Monday morning when you have to wake up, get dressed, grab a breakfast on the way out the door and you know, make it to work on time. he gets it. Why? Because he lived it. He had a job back to mark 6:3 isn't this the carpenter? Jesus was a carpenter and he was probably a carpenter for as long as 18 years. Jewish tradition had a, a Jewish boy beginning an apprenticeship at 12 years of age. Jesus was 30 years of age when he began his public ministry. What that means is for 18 years, Jesus turned off his alarm clock, got out of bed, got dressed, put on his tool belt, and went to work. For 18 years. And we don't think about that very often. You know, we don't think about the fact that Jesus had to deal with the pressures of deadlines and purchase orders. He dealt with unhappy customers who didn't pay the bills on time. He dealt with an economy that was up and then down and then maybe housing slumps where it was really not a great time to be a carpenter. He dealt with accounts payable and accounts receivable. He dealt with suppliers. He dealt with unhappy customers who said, I'm not paying for that because that's not the way I ordered it. He dealt with paying his taxes, trying to make ends meet. All those things that we just call life's pressures. Jesus dealt with that. He knows what that's like. He dealt with the exact same things that we have to deal with. And because of that, I'll go back to Hebrews again, chapter 4, verse 15. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in times of need. We have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, can sympathize with our struggles. Why? Because he's been there and he's done that. He knows how hard life can be. Because of that, he gives us grace when we need it the most. When life seems to be closing in around us, when we seem to be swallowed up just by by life, Jesus says, I understand. I know what you're going through. I know how hard that can be I'm with you and then finally Jesus understands hurt Well, some of you this morning hurt and I'm not talking about a physical pain I'm talking about a pain that goes much much deeper than that Let me remind you of a very well-known prophecy concerning the the Messiah. It's in Isaiah chapter 53. He, prophesying about the Messiah. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Jesus knows sorrow. Jesus knows suffering. Jesus was despised, and that's a pretty strong word. And I don't think that Isaiah is talking about just the crucifixion here. Jesus was despised long before he went to the cross. Do you think it was easy growing up in the little town of Nazareth where all of his friends and all of his friends' parents knew that's the illegitimate son of Mary and Joseph? Where all of his little friends would come up and say, we know that your mother was pregnant before your parents were married. Where all the adults would whisper as he walked by, that's Jesus. That's Joseph and Mary's boy. They had to get married, you know. He was despised and he was rejected. Let me step sideways for just a minute and say something maybe especially for those of you who might be a little bit younger I know that there are some people in here who have been despised and rejected by your peers and it hurts now maybe you weren't very athletic and you were made to feel outcast because of that maybe academics were always hard for you and you were labeled in some ways that were very very hurtful at the time Maybe you've been picked on, bullied, laughed at, put down. And yeah, you come up with some defense mechanisms, you kind of shrug your shoulders and say no big deal, but it is a big deal. Because it hurts. Listen, Jesus was rejected by men. In fact, scripture says Jesus was a man of sorrows. You know what that means? That means Jesus knows what it is to hurt. He knows what it is to suffer. He knows what it is to put his head on his pillow and wish that things were different. And because of that, the next time you go through that, he knows. He knows and he cares. The next time you cry yourself to sleep at night, Jesus knows what you're feeling. He knows you're hurt. And that qualifies him to be your best friend. See, Jesus is the one person, really the only person, who really can come alongside you and say, I know just what you're feeling. He can say that. Jesus can say, I know just what you're going through. You know, we know him as a teacher. We know him as a healer. We know him as a worker of miracles. We know him as a friend. One more phrase that I'll use this morning, abbreviation that everyone under 30 will understand. And that is DTR. Define the relationship. This morning you need to define the relationship. Not between you and somebody else. So that's how we usually use that phrase. What's going on with you two? I don't know. We've got to define the relationship. You need to define the relationship between you and Jesus. You need to decide what that relationship is. Jesus, your Lord and Savior, is also supremely qualified to be the best friend you'll ever have. See, some of you only know him as this faceless deity that you talk about on Sunday mornings. Some of you only really remember Jesus as a uh, flannel graph image, you know, from when you were six years old. You need to know Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us. I know Him. I love Him. I need Him every day. I depend on Him. I put my trust in Him. I think about Him before I go to sleep. He's the first thing that's on my mind when I wake up. I know Him. And He knows me. And I'll tell you, you've got to pay close attention to this aspect of your relationship with Jesus because Jesus says heaven's going to depend on it. A lot of people are going to know Jesus only in a kind of a Sunday morning way. And Jesus says, that's not going to cut it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus doesn't just want to be your Sunday God. He wants to be your best friend. He wants to know you. He wants to be known by you. This morning, you know him as Jesus. Do you know him as Emmanuel? God with me. Every day. In the best of days, in the worst of days, in all those days in between when I'm just living life. Do you know Jesus as the God who walks with me? Because that's who he is. And that's who he has to be in your life. This morning, if you are subject to the invitation in any way, we invite you to come to the front. There'll be some people down here that will meet with you and pray with you. If we can help you in any way, come while we stand and sing this song of encouragement.